Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Let's face it, money is the one subject we all need to deal with, but no one actually wants to talk about. The good news is there's a podcast helping you learn everything about money no one taught you. Meet Everyone's Talking Money, hosted by me, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money and just helps you get in a better relationship with your money no matter what your goals are. Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Very few criminals will take the blame for the crimes that they committed. Almost all will claim their innocence and say they don't belong behind prison walls. On November 24th, 2014, a man was released from prison after more than 35 years of claiming his innocence. A man who, like so many, was wrongfully convicted for a crime he did not commit. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In 1980, a man named Michael Ray Hanlon was convicted of a crime he swore he did not commit. As the story goes, Michael Hanlon and a man named J.T. McGarry, a writer for Easy Writers magazine, shared a girlfriend named Mary Biscoff. Back in 1978, Mary told Michael that J.T. had stolen between thirty dollars to $35,000 from the Easy Writer editor, Lou Kimsey, and that half of that money was supposed to go to her. After her complaint to her boyfriend, J.T. seemed to fall off the face of the earth. Having last been heard from on November 10th, 1978, when he called up an attorney named Bruce Robertson. Two days later, his body was found off California's Highway 33 near Ventura, a 38 caliber gunshot wound to his chest and neck. Now, by the time JT suffered at the hands of this unknown gunman, Michael and Mary were living together, leading to some speculation that Michael may have had something to do with JT's murder basically theorizing that Michael was getting rid of the third person in their bizarre love triangle. Then, police found out that the couple went to JT's home on the morning of his disappearance to retrieve some of Mary's personal belongings, and the case began heading solely into Michael's direction. 
Eventually, as the case progressed, Mary became the principal witness against her boyfriend and swore under oath that Michael told her a, quote, contract was out on JT, was seen with a 38 caliber revolver tucked into his belt the night JT went missing, and vowed to blow the brains out of the man who slighted his girlfriend. Returning the night of the 10th, wet and covered in dirt. The case was brought to trial and a number of witnesses came to the stand to deny Mary's claims that Michael killed JT because of the money he owed to Mary. All were dismissed by the prosecutor, who claimed that Michael's alibi, which said he spent the evening working on some motorcycles at home and only left to grab a beer, was completely fabricated. The prosecutor, a man named Louis Simonsky Jr., alleged that Michael, in the company of an accomplice named Dennis Bo Messer, kidnapped J.T. McGarry from his home, took him somewhere secluded, killed him, and dumped his body 25 miles from his Ventura home. Based almost solely off of Mary Biscoff's testimony, the scenario presented by the prosecution, and evidence that some of J.T.'s belongings were found in a stolen van that Mary... Michael and Dennis had been driving, Michael Hanlon was convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment without a chance of parole. Mary, in exchange for her moving testimony, was granted immunity while Dennis Messer remained uncharged due to lack of evidence. Now, from the moment he became a suspect, Michael Hanlon swore he had nothing to do with JT's murder. This wasn't the first time that a guilty man was maintaining his innocence. But in Michael's case, he had a pretty good idea of who helped police land on him as a suspect. The now-deceased attorney, Bruce Robertson, the last person to speak to JT before his disappearance. According to Michael, Bruce's office was actually the, quote, base of operations for the investigation into JT's murder, giving him ample opportunity to sway the case any way he wanted. In fact, sheriff's officer and lead investigator in the case, Martin McCoy, visited Bruce often to show him copies of the investigation reports and ask him his opinions on the case, which wouldn't be a big deal except for the fact that in all of his visits, Officer McCoy didn't notice or didn't care to notice that Bruce was not just doling out legal advice, but was also using his office to deal drugs, more specifically, cocaine. Michael went even further to claim that the police neglected to notice a number of false-bottomed Pennzoil cans in Bruce's office, which hid his secret stash. The same type of false-bottomed cans discovered at J.T. McGarry's house after the murder. According to Michael, that phone call the attorney made on November 10th received only a dial tone, which led to the conclusion that JT had already been murdered two days before there was proof of any crime. But because of his status and the investigation taking place in his office, Bruce was able to shift the officer's theories to make them tunnel vision on the man he was framing for a murder that he committed. The day after JT's body was found, police got an anonymous call from a man claiming Mary Biscoff knew what happened. And, according to Michael, Bruce flew her out to California on first class, where she drank several alcoholic beverages before giving police her testimony. In fact, if Michael's story is to be believed, Bruce Robertson and Officer McCoy picked up Mary from the airport and drove her to several bars for some more drinks before taking her to the department for her interview. It was then that she implicated her boyfriend, Michael Hanlon. But the backhanded deals didn't stop there. Michael went on further to say that, just before his arraignment, Bruce Robertson threatened his original attorney, Jack Janis, by warning him that the, quote, 
Hell's Angels didn't want no shit on murder and that they supposedly wanted Michael to sit in his own mud for the murder. Jack Janis told the Ventura County District Attorney Michael Schwartz about the threat, but he did and said nothing to Bruce Robertson. He also said that just before his death, JT went to his estranged wife and told her to get away from Easy Rider magazine because, quote, its employees were involved in the drug trade and mafia. She was never called to testify during the trial. In the end, Michael claimed that Officer McCoy and Prosecutor Simonski were desperate to convict him, even though they were all aware of JT's hefty embezzlement from a company that was, according to him, connected to some shady business ventures. That Bruce Robertson killed his supposed client in connection to the cocaine business he was running out of his office. Reports were never turned over. Witnesses who could place JT and Bruce together before the murder were never called. The case tampered with, and ultimately an innocent man was placed behind bars. So, Michael fought for himself, and with the help of the California Innocence Project, who started working on the case in 1999, got the case to a federal judge who, in 2010, recommended that Michael's conviction be set aside so he could be retried. But the recommendation was refused. After a total of two habeas corpus petitions were denied and a number of legal hurdles, the Ventura Superior Court Judge Donald D. Coleman reversed the conviction in late 2014 and set the date for retrial. DNA testing was done that same year on the tape used to bind JT's hands, and along with the evidence Michael and the Innocence Project turned up, it was proven once and for all that Michael Hanlon was not the man who killed JT McGarry. He was released on November 24th, 2014, as the longest-serving wrongfully convicted inmate in state history to be released until 2017. He spent 35 years behind bars. In April of the following year, a judge dismissed all of the charges against him. As a result of everything he went through and how many people conspired against him, Michael sued the county, its district attorney, the sheriff's office, Martin McCoy, and Louis Simonski. Before the federal court, Michael claimed the defendants suppressed, quote, numerous exculpatory documents showing that others had taken responsibility for the murder before Mr. Hanlon's conviction, that witnesses knew key facts of the crime which were not known to the general public, and that these facts could not have been known by those individuals without their direct involvement in the crime. Claiming further that, had these documents been produced, Michael Hanlon would have never spent any time behind prison bars. They settled, and Michael walked away with $10 million that he used to try and start his life all over again. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 25th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.